Hello, my name is Emily Jansen, and this is the Leadership is Female podcast. We interview women in the sports and entertainment businesses to teach you the tips and the mindset that will get you to the top faster. Marion Wright Edelman said, you can't be what you can't see. Let's bring visibility to women who are crushing it in their roles. Join us week after week, season after season, as we reach back to extend a hand to pull you forward. We will lead you forward because leadership is female. Beth was a 14-year CEO and three-year executive director of the Women's Basketball Coaches Association, the WBCA. She grew membership into an influential coaching community, developed impactful governance and compliance, and formed sustainable brand partnerships that remain central to the organization today. Under her leadership, game-changing brand strategies created connections to the biggest brands in sports. In addition to Adidas, Beth spent the first decade of her career leading national sports marketing campaigns for Nike and Converse, where she built campaigns that revolutionized the industry and empowered underrepresented athletes. Beth continues to pursue her goal of infusing equitable opportunities and inclusivity across the athletic spectrum, and we're so happy to have her here on the podcast today. You guys, you do not want to miss this episode, so without further ado, here's Beth Bass. All right. Welcome to the Leadership is Female podcast. Today, we've got Beth Bass, sports CEO and marketing brand executive, Hall of Fame inductee, and Naismith Award winner. Wow. We are pumped, pumped, pumped to have you today. Let me uh, toss it to you to introduce yourself. Tell us who you are and what you do. I'm Beth Bass, and um, I am a, a seasoned, experienced sports marketing continual learner. <laughs> Uh, I'm always trying to still connect dots and 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 stay curious. So how did you get there? Let's go back to how did you get your start in sports? I'm not gonna go too far back and um, but I just broad strokes or kind of like a voiceover of my career in my in my uh in my voice is that I went to I played basketball on a scholarship at East Tennessee State University and for the for Susan Yao, and for anybody that's into women's basketball, know the Yao family. Kay Yao was at NC State, and I wasn't. She never said that because she was too elegant and too diplomatic. But I was not good enough to play for NC State, so I always say I went to the farm team. Uh, in your baseball language, and played for Susan Yao, which was wonderful. So I got really entrenched with the Yao family, working camps and. And finally, I was able to work a lot with Kay. I'll, I'd like to circle back with that a little bit later on because she'll keep coming up in my discussion. So uh, somehow I, through, again, working camps and in, in women's basketball, I landed a job as a graduate assistant. One of the first, it was called at University of Tennessee, that small program that you might have heard about. It was the first pr- promotional graduate assistant. And 80% of the time was promoting women's basketball because they only had seven sports. And so to, to think I got to work with Coach Summit and end up being great colleagues, even better friends as, as time evolved through my next jobs. So that was, a, that was wonderful. I did everything from, you know, picking up her dry cleaning to picking up officials for games, you know, whatever. I couldn't work fast enough. I just loved the opportunity. And I, and I always had a, a, a sense to realize this was special. 
right? Throughout my career, like not everybody gets to do this. And so at that time, just to show you how experienced I am, not old, but mature. She won a gold in LA in 84 in USA basketball. And then they were switching over to Converse and she fell in love with the Converse brand. And that, that was back when they still Converse made performance products, you know, Larry Bird, Magic Johnson, Dr. J, and on and on. So they asked that they would like, they wanted to hire a promotional athletic specialist. And she told me to apply. And so I went from South Carolina to Knoxville to Boston with this accent. I always say I, I always say I have a, I'm bilingual. I speak mainstream English, English and Southern. So I, I don't think they understood me for the first several years, but it was an incredible experience. Stayed there nine years, left there as the director of sports marketing. Very proud of that because I was not, I was probably the youngest, except for the secretary. That's what we called him back then, but it was uh, only two females in our sports marketing department. And I left, um, was again, fortunate. I was on a short list because I got to already do some pretty um, meaningful uh, key learnings. And Nike, they were hiring their first category manager for women's basketball and sports marketing. So I got to go out to Portland. And again, you know, they're, they're amazing. And just got to do the 95 and 96, which is really a genesis, very huge catalyst time in women's basketball in the United States. Um, that was kind of like our dream team. And they did the whole tour in 95. And, you know, it was Lisa Leslie, Cheryl Swoops, Don Staley, who perfect timing. So I got to do that and do the Olympics in 96 in Atlanta. And then I just never quite adjusted to being the ocean being on the wrong side. I realized I wasn't a West Coast person. And the WBCA, Women's Basketball Coach Association, was located in Atlanta. And, of course, they were a corporate sponsor of you know, Nike and Converse was involved. So I knew, knew them very well. And so I was lucky enough to get become the executive director for 12 years. And then I it was kind of like the coaching waiting on you. I'd be the CEO eventually. So I was there 18 years and that's, and then I, that job, a lot of travel, a lot of pressure, a lot of fun final fours to be able to hand out uh, that beautiful crystal trophy to coaches. You might not really, really like, but it's still awfully cool, you know, and kind of mark that moment. So I did that. And then I took a year off, which was just wonderful. And then Adidas called and I was able to, be recruited by them. And in my time of reflection for that year off, I'm like, when were you the happiest? And it was like being in sports marketing with a big brand. I, at the WBCA, why I took the job, it was like having your own women's basketball company, but not your own money, but you were responsible for everything. The money, you know, raising the money, run the, you know, the final four and the convention, the professional development side of it. it WBCA has all the divisions represented, Division One, Two, Three, NAI, Junior College, and in uh, youth sports. So, uh, so I stayed in touch with the big brands, and so when Adidas, I got to go there and write my own job description, and it was wonderful for four years. I said I had a great four-year scholarship, but then the pandemic struck, and it 
it was a phenomenal job, but bad time to be the U.S. manager of collegiate sports when there's no sports going on. <laughs> so we they, we had to go through layoffs, and that was aw- awfully humbling. And so I I had to I took another year off and um, started doing some consulting work, and that's how I am here now. What a story! And I've got a million questions for you, but I think my next one leads in pretty good. Your career spans 40 years of just incredible service and leadership in the women's basketball space. And an early deal that you inked was one of the first shoe deals in the WNBA. What was the brand? Okay. We're curious about that. What was the brand for the deal? And what, what brand shoes are you wearing today uh, after all these shoe jobs? And, uh, and so many of our listeners, they work in sports and on partnerships. And I think many of the fundamentals remain the same. So can you talk a little bit about that deal? Well, that this that's a great question because I, I was at Converse at the time. and But Converse was a, still the sponsor of USA Basketball. And so, but it's under the umbrella of NBA properties. So it, it was tough to activate because Nike is the, the big tent, right, of NBA or several other brands on the court, you know, but you have your official rights holder. And, and that was a converse at the time, but hard to activate because we surely couldn't go uh, dollar for dollar with, with Nike. But I was called in the office to our vice president and he said he'd heard about this happening, that they're going to do this huge tour. I think it was like 50 games domestically building up to 96. I think it was the brainchild of, Honestly, Russ Granite and Val Ackerman, who's now the commissioner of the Big East. And they said, here's $50,000. You can sign one person probably, or you can spread it out and maybe get three. So, but you had to sign them all for collecting bargaining. You had to sign them before actually the team was named. So you, that was kind of a real challenge, right? Because I didn't want to fail. They gave me $50,000, a lot of money back then. So I did my homework and I, I signed Katie Steading, who was at Stanford at the time. Um, Nikki McRae, um, who pl- played at Tennessee. And the third was Carla McGee, who was a defensive specialist rebounder. So I stretched my fifteen, my $50,000, signed those three and praise the Lord, they all made it on that day. I felt like I it was waiting for the for it to be posted out in Colorado Springs. It was, it was, it was, it was a great time. So about a year after that, poor guys, I went to Nike, but I had signed Teresa Edwards years before uh, who was at Georgia. And so I got to, then I got to work with Rebecca Lobo and Jennifer Azy who were Reebok and like, you know, travel around with that. That's, I guess we call it now that storm, that barnstorming team and got to work with all of them. And so that was, uh, and then of course, that team was the first, I can't remember the name of it. They, it was a good 30 for 30 that whole year. They just did a 30 for 30 and the entire Vanderbilt took a year off to uh, first time they ever done that from Stanford. And so I got to experience that. And that was just, uh, that's how, how, that's how that happened that by doing my homework and hoping getting in the selection committee's head and talking to Tara a ton, um, 
who would be three of those potential Olympians. So I was just as elated as they were when they were chosen. Wow. You must've been like on pins and needles and talk about like betting on yourself and your expertise and your relationships to like pick the winners and get, and get them on your team. It was, uh, I've always been a gut person, uh, you know, then it was named emotional intelligence, right? I've always been relational people person, but I, I've always had great connections, valued, valued them. I did not have to be the one at the front of the room. Pat Summit used to always, she, she led from the back of the room. She was never on the board of directors of the WBCA, but she was a huge, um, I mean, she was a huge contributor on and on and on and on. So you just listen more and not, if you're not talking, you're listening and, and gaining some intel, you hope. And I've always liked anecdotal, what people aren't saying, or I'm not a big empirical, empirical person. And I think sometimes that speaks that speaks louder than the dots and spots and the metrics and the digital and you know all the different platforms. Yeah, and I'm I'm curious. I don't know exactly how to ask the question, but you spent 18 years with the WBCA. What is it? Was it like you know for us like working in the sports industry? We're often uh, the minority, like there's more men in the room than women. And you spent so much of your career working with, working on women's sports with a room full of women. So I, what do you think is kind of like the difference in, in how you developed or, or your belief in women's leadership or your leadership skills? Like, how do you think that that environment impacted the person you are today? Another great question. Cause I think what I learned at Converse being the only female, but I was very comfortable with that because young boys, whether it be peewee football or literally baseball, they immediately start learning the dynamics of a skill set that athletics teaches you, you know, collaboration, teamwork. And so I really, I kind of thrived at Converse because I knew that leadership style or that culture but I, I was learning all the way playing sports. And I don't think that's what I hate when young girls don't at least try a sport somehow. They might not last, or but to have the experience of being coached by a, by, by a good coach. And so what was interesting, I think I worked with maybe a, probably about, I think it was a 13 Division I head coaches. And I mean the big names, Gianarion. I mean, it goes on Marsha Sharp. Teresa Grintz, Sherry Cole from Oklahoma, and they all had different leadership styles and strengths and weaknesses, but it was the still template I was very used to. Does that make sense in, in that environment? Because mm-hmm. that's how they came along. That was their apprentice learning. And one of the misconceptions, interesting enough, is our membership at the WBCA was like 65% women and 35% men or it skewed almost higher at times. So you, there was a lot of coaches, male coaches of women's basketball, like Doug Bruno. Um, so it, it's, he was a president. So I just, you know, I just said, I'm probably the luckiest person to have been coached, 
not on the floor, but learning them and their leadership style, how they like to communicate, how much communication do they like? And it was, if I could write a complete sentence, I would love to write a book about that experience of, and that, you know, someone made the final four and they, they were too busy, but they still made their obligations. And, and people were just like in awe that they still did their own court demonstration, right? Because they they're in the final four and they would come over to our convention with about 3,000 um, coaches of, of women's basketball and um, still participate. And then there's other ones that wouldn't return my call. I, I might put them back at the back of the book that say they <laughs> give back like they should have. Yeah, it's so interesting. Like a lot of um, when you're working in business and you've had experiences in both, right? Like you might have a leader who was promoted just through natural progression, not because they're the best leader in the room, but because they could get the sales numbers or, you know, have some um, longevity factor that and that uh, dictates the promotion in sports. Like I think leadership comes from as a head coach, like you have to be a great leader. Like that is the core foundation most of the time. So the fact that you're, you like got to grow up and spend your career around true leaders and coaches um, is something that I wish, you know, some more of us could experience like beyond our little league. Like, can we still have this type of, of level of coach um, feedback, you know, direction, uh, sort of no holds barred. Like as a boss, sometimes you don't want to say the thing that you don't want to say, but as a coach, it's like, you just say it. <laughs> Why are you shooting from the, you know, from the pain? I told you, right. And another little aside is I had, ne I've never kept coached a day in my life. I knew I didn't want to coach. So I was lucky to go a different path. Um, so I, I had time to listen differently at open practices or when I would visit them to do, you know, to, you know, to work on the WBCA or, and so I think that was helpful. I, you know, I didn't know what X from, I, I, you know, I know what X from no, but I think they dropped their guard because they don't, I, I wasn't into recruiting. They were, they would share their secret sauce a lot of times and that confidentiality really, you know, served me well. And like I said, I, I had, you know, I, I was trusted in their little, you know, in their little pack. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the other side of the coaches is the players. And today you're building connections in NIL market, creating some very innovative solutions. Can you talk about this business sector, including some of the revolutionary partnerships you've created and how can or how should our listeners who work in the industry get involved or start to think about NIL? I tell you, um, everything's innovative, though, because it's only two years old <laughs> and uh, there's few parameters. There's no guardrails. We've heard all the cool verbiage out there, <clears throat> uh, but it it's time now. Two things I feel like. We need to quit using the pandemic and the supply chain issues, it's time to be fixed. Now, we're two years out of it or getting out of it. That drives me crazy. When I get on a, you know, I'm not going to tell you, I, I called an airline. They're still saying, because of the bubble of the pandemic, your calls could be, I'm like, come on, you're better than that. You're a top 500 company. You figure it out. So I kind of use the same thing with NIL. We knew it was coming and we weren't ready for it. 
we are all in this. If you, you know, commissioners say the same thing, athletic directors, coaches probably were the last to really hear about. I mean, think well, it's not about recruiting. It's not about officiating. So it's not going to affect me. It's like complaining about gravity. It is here to stay. We might not like it. Let's quit. I'm not picking at you because I've used the same thing. I love this one. You know, it's the wild, wild west. It's we're flying a plane while we're building it. I like that one. But it's here to stay. And we got to quit complaining about it and use that energy to figure it out. And um, my gut is if we wait on Congress to figure it out, you know, we're at 50 different states. We see how 50 different states handle the pandemic, how they handle a Supreme Court decision differently. So if we if we let the states manage it, it's only going to get crazier. So I think the ecosystem of college athletics, we need to govern ourselves. And this is probably going to be a really hot topic, but one other skill set I'm proud of or I'm, I'm thankful for is there are incredible, bright, brilliant full-time staffers at the NCA headquarters in Indianapolis. The acronym is confusing. Some say it's not consistent of anything in CAA, but it's not a, it's not a league like football. It didn't have a one commissioner, Roger, you know, he didn't. So I th- they, people need to give them some slack. They also do division one, division two, and division three. So what happens when everybody has a vote or a voice, a lot of minutia, a lot of bureaucracy. So I always think they've done, they could do better in, in their narrative. It didn't, and I hear, I love um, Reese Davis, Jay Billis. If you're on here, I think you like to think you're the smartest guy in the room, but you drive me crazy because you don't always have the, you don't encompass the, the female athlete. You're just talking about basketball or maybe football. And you hear like, oh, division one or the, you know, the big conferences should pull off and do this. Well, that would be catastrophic for Title IX. It'd be catastrophic for not just student, female student athletes, but male Olympic athletes. And I, I, I want them to understand that. The one thing that NCA is very good at is doing championships that cost a lot of money to be put on for the Olympic sports as well as all divisions. So if if they could pull that revenue off just to protect the football championship or the March Madness, which I obviously love, baseball contributes a little bit, the World Series. But I think they're very misinformed and it's scary. They're the size of their microphone. It's, it, you know, it's so interesting because depending on who you talk to, it's a different, it's a different angle or if it's a different take. Um, I had a conversation recently with a woman working in, in NIL and at her school, her D1 school, women are out earning men 4X because we know how to use social media. We know how to leverage community. Like we know how to put our time and energy into something that, that benefits us. And she's like, the girls are just knocking it out of the park. And so, you know, through that lens, I think like what an opportunity to 
finally reward some of these athletes for all their hard work. And also it's teaching them like business skills. They're managing their own little micro business inside the university. And I mean, talk about running out of the gate. If you don't pursue a professional or Olympic career in your sport, if you interview for an an employer and say, oh, you know, I I signed in in inks 50K in deals per year while I was at university. And I got them renewed, right? Like I, I was very proficient at it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, I, I just marvel and I love hearing, you know, on, on a platform or podcast, but especially on ESPN, which is always on the background, you know, wherever I am, is that the male commentators, you know, you got Aguma K, like that was a head, there was a, you know, president of the, of the Players Association when, Everything was going down, and they have mobilized. And I mean, Sue Bird. I mean, there's they're brilliant, articulate female athletes in all sports. WNBA, they're probably the most. And the guys are saying this: they got their act together on their message. They don't let anybody stray off of it. And from Brittany Griner getting her back to influencing a very contested because I lived it very contested election in Atlanta. Pretty powerful to your point. Yeah. Usually more accessible. Just think about the LPGA does better on on their pro-ams. You can still go and touch and get autographs. A lot of, a lot of female athletes and that's, seeing it and being it right for young women coming along and the young boys, they don't know the difference. They just think it's cool. And that's a part of the evolution of changing stereotypes and systemic discriminations. Yeah, you're, you're so right. And I think at this point we've got to really highlight like just how great you are. We were joking. This is your promo show, but okay. So get ready to get ready to glow. You were recognized for your lifetime of innovative contributions to the advancement of athletics and received the 2020 Naismith Award, which is presented annually to the most outstanding men's and women's basketball players and coaches. And you were inducted into the Women's Basketball Hall of Fame in 2019. So what do these awards mean to you? And what work is there still left to do in women's basketball? I don't know about you, but I love learning more about myself. If there's a quiz out there to help me better understand who I am, I'll take it. If there's a journal prompt, I'm using it. But how about a business that helps female leaders communicate effectively while inspiring confidence and trust in those you want to impact? Sign me up. Breakthrough Brands is unlocking clarity for women leading progress. They build leadership brands for women to discover what inspires them, define what drives them, and unlock how to share their brands with others. Do you want to gain clarity on your personal brand? Shoot me a note at leadershipisfemale at gmail.com or on Instagram, and we will introduce you to the women who will help you unlock your leadership brand. That's breakthroughbrands.com. If you are listening to this podcast, I know you are a busy professional. We can agree we are always looking for products that are convenient and make life easier. Mobot water bottles are one of these products. It's a water bottle and a foam roller in one. 
I use the water bottle at the gym, staying hydrated in boot camp and then flipping the bottle on its side at the end of class to quickly foam roll my legs. It helps with recovery and gets me back to work faster. Get yours at mobot.com and use the code leadership is female, all one word, to get 15% off. Support Lonnie Cooper, the female founder of this product, and support yourself. This is a must-have wellness water bottle. At Leadership is Female, we are serious about supporting you in your career. That includes the tips to get you ahead inside your current organization or provide you with the next big opportunity in a new role. That's why we have partnered with Legacy Search, an executive recruiting firm specializing in mid to senior level executive searches across professional, collegiate, and minor league sports. Check out the openings listed at LegacySportsSearch.com or in our monthly Leadership is Female newsletter. Hint, if you have not signed up for the newsletter, head to leadershipisfemale.com. If you find a job listed at Legacy Sports Search that looks like it should be yours, email us at leadershipisfemale at gmail.com and we will introduce you directly to the opportunity. This is your career. Make the most of it. Because of all my fortunate opportunities and the mentors, professional, you know, to colleagues on NCA committees, I felt I was kind of relieved to get in the Women's Basketball Hall of Fame because I feel like I would have let so many people down who's already in there. Does that make sense? I mean, like, maybe I, I have not wasted all my my learnings. I I love that. I love that you said that because you're, you know, you're thinking about that group that helped lift you up and provide those opportunities and like, not just what it meant to you, but what it meant to them to have that recognition for you. I mean, that, I mean, so kind of relief and like, whoo, and nobody can ever take it away from you. Right. And like, there was no women's basketball hall of fame when I grew up in Hartsville, South Carolina. And I, I didn't even know how to dream of being in a hall of fame because there wasn't even one. But then I didn't know exactly what to expect with the Naismith because I was on the board. Now this is Naismith Player of the Year, and and I was again so fortunate that one kind of surprised me. I got it with Jim Nance, the silver the silver fox voice of the Masters of March Madness, and I'm like I'm gonna ride his coattails till. You know, in the press release, I'm like, I can't believe this is so cool. I'm getting on war with Jim Nance. And interesting enough, I've been able to, to get to about half a dozen men's Final Fours because I was kind of busy. So when it was uh, finally given out because it was the pandemic and they kept pushing it out. And when they would call me, Eric Oberman, who uh, runs the uh, Atlanta Tip-Off Club that houses Naismith, he would ask me, I'm sure he wanted to get me checked off. And I said, I'm not getting it until Jim Nance accepts it because I want to be in the room and get my picture taken with him. And he goes, all right, Beth. So it happened last year in New Orleans at the men's final four. And I could barely get through. Um, I could barely get through the incredible, I mean, it's at the men's final four, there's 600 people there. And it's at the World War II warm-up museum. And I love history. And I, I'm a proud, I'm a, I'm a proud patriot of my, country I just fear my government but I it was just I was blown away and I could hardly get through saying this was that 
a little girl growing up in Hartsville, South Carolina, if you would have told her my name would be in the same sentence as the word Naismith and Jim Nance, come on, that's pretty cool. Let's see it. Oh, there, there it is. There's the photo. So oh, I love that. I love that. And like thinking back, you know, to that little girl moment, like, you know, what would you, what would you tell her right back, back then? Like if you were to go back and, and visit Elizabeth Bass at 10 years old, like what, what do you share? With a lot of therapy and a lot of experience, um, I would say be yourself because everybody else is taken. Mm -hmm. But a little 10 year old from Hartsville, South Carolina, being a tomboy to the word degree, following my older brother around, it just wouldn't, you know, you got to see it to. You know, you got to see role models to emulate them. And, and thank goodness I chose some good ones to imprint by. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, that and that authenticity, that being true to yourself has has led you through just a, a phenomenal career. And this is the Leadership is Female podcast. So what is the biggest leadership lesson that you've learned that you can share with our audience? Oh, so many. Um, there's a sidebar and it's all about access and everybody says how creative I am or I'm, you know, or I'm a collaborator, all that. But like I was successful because I had access. I was at corporate headquarters at Converse. I was at, I was at the home office, the mothership at Nike. I was sitting in meetings where I was hearing what was going on, on with the men's side of the house. So I could implement that. And everybody thought I was brilliant because that's not before you were exchanging information. I said, well, it would apply over here. So I don't know if I'm that creative or marketer. It was just like maybe my brain, a little tilt of the axis and a different application can, you know, be not one size fits all, but this will work on the women's side. And I, but again, I got female professionals athletes access is you, you gotta somebody said it best anuka brown that played at northwestern then she went to the nca she says if you're not at the dinner table you are the main entree in a boardroom right your budgets will get cut you're not gonna have a voice i mean it gives me chills that that's the truth and so that goes through sports politics we got to share, we got to share. And um, one leadership, I, back to your question, as I go off on a tangent, is you got to, I think you've got to be secure enough to hire smarter people than you, or they have skill sets that you don't have and you can't be intimidated. And I, that has served me very well. And somebody goes, are you going to get your master's? And I said, no, I, I hired one. I you get your MBA. No, I got a master's, but I, I can't even hardly remember what it's in. But, I, you know, you got you, you need an MBA. No, no, I just, I just hired a great one at the WBCA. I love that. And I have to talk about Coach Summit. One thing, like, when, I will never forget this. is 87, 
their first national championship. And I think she, you know, people don't know, she went to like, I think double digits before she won. She would not have survived that if it was the mass media we have, right? So she won in 87. It was in Austin, Texas. We always did this little annual thing. We'd go down to this, the um, a tennis tournament in, in Hilton Head about the week or so after. And I said, I can't wait. I'm like, she got it in her contract in 87 from Converse. She got $5,000 if she won a national championship. So I was so proud. I walked around the building, you know, went through accounts payable. I'm going to present this $5,000 to Pat Summit. And we're going to have a big time in Hilton Head. And so somehow we were alone sitting on a picnic table at our little hotel or whatever, pull out this check. And she goes, oh, Bass, I meant to tell you, I want you, I wanted you to make this out 2,500 to Mickey DeMoss and 2,500 to Holly. Those were her two assistants. So that was quite the impression. About, hey, but I, they're paying the taxes. But you take care of your staff, you take care of your valued team, whoever that might be, your COO, your CMO, whoever it is, protect your talent and take care of them. I love that story. And uh, I've been fortunate to hear a lot of Pat Summit stories along this journey of the podcast. And she continues to make just such an incredible impact um, on all of us. And and I'll shout out, you know, on this podcast now, like if if you don't have uh, a mentor, just go back into Pat's career and and follow what she did. And there's, you know, it's unfor it's so devastating um, for those I'm sure even closest to her how we we lost her, but her lessons are evergreen and ones that should not be forgotten. So if we can do our small part in having people who don't didn't get the chance to to watch her coach or um, haven't seen stories about her on ESPN, like she is is one of the ultimate leaders. And uh, Beth, I'm so happy you shared and, and just resurrected a personal story with her to just demonstrate like what an incredible leader she was. Well, I think I've used her name three. I always say that's the most I can do on a, <laughs> a speech, a podcast. So I'm going to try to abstain. I can tell other great coaches stories. Yeah. Well, lucky for you, I'm a huge fan of hers. And you didn't even know that about me before we got on today. But I mean, who isn't? Um, so what a what a great surprise to get to talk about her um, on, on the podcast. So you have um, had this great career. We've touched on many a times and you've got an incredible skill set. But how much do you think that the skill of confidence and willpower have played into your success? <clears throat> All right, I'm going to break my rule. To read her books or listen to her books. I just wish we had her voice like we do now with the authors. Um, she always, one of her tenets of her, um, I think it's 12, I can't even remember now, um, discipline yourself so nobody else has to. And so you can, you might not have the skill set, but you can play defense. It just takes effort more effort. You got to outwork, outwork everybody, make yourself valuable. And that's what she, she taught. And, um, and if you're, if you're, uh, if you're not on time, you're like quarter till you better be on the bus. <laughs> Another time 
I don't know where they're going. I think it was an SEC tournament. And I was driving myself and she left the mascot. He was late. Smokey. So I followed the, the bus. I thought, surely they'll pull off. And then like a highway patrolman that was helping him escort out finally pulled him over so Smokey could get, but she left the mascot. Now you're late. Hold your hold people accountable if they can't hold themselves, right? You know, I I love that. That, that it seems like such a brave move today, right? Like we're um we're pretty soft when it comes to to discipline. And um, so that reminder to discipline yourself and stay committed to to your goals and what and what you committed to so that no one else has to is is fantastic. Um so you left Adidas just over two years ago uh, after heading up the NCAA College Partnerships. What's life look like for you now in Atlanta? And, and what are you working on at Beth Bass, Inc.? Funny you should ask that I'm not in Atlanta anymore. I am looking out. I'm in big orange country, um, which has been a great move because, you know, I've got a great group of friends here and I'm close to campus and uh and, you, and you're right. I was even surprised. I moved here about a year ago that she is still so revered. I mean, it's unbelievable. Any male, female football, basketball, they got the summit blue trim. I mean, I, it just, that's been special. And I went to an NIL panel and they had like a softball student athlete, two basketball and a volleyball. And they asked the open-ended question, what made you come here? And no matter the sport, Pat Summit. I was pleasantly surprised that even this generation, different sports, they wanted to come where the legacy was, is. Yeah, I love that. Well, that's um, sounds like you've landed in the right place and really looking forward to seeing all that you do um, as, as your career continues to roll forward and, and be successful. So on this uh, this podcast, um, fitting for also the month of March, but I do it all year round, is the final four questions. Um, so I want to ask your top piece of advice for women to apply today to level up tomorrow. First of all, I don't know if you mean actually apply. You've seen the st- statistics. Be confident enough to apply for everything. Don't wait for somebody to ask you. Males just have that, you know, they're going to apply for that job, even though they might, oh, there's six major, you know, bricks in the job description. They got two out of six, they're going to apply. If we don't have one, we're like, oh, they're going to apply. Talking about access and keys, I can't stand the word networking because it seems artificial. And it reminds me when I was growing up, you have how to hold your tea and your white gloves and hand a card out. I hate that. Networking today is, is volunteering and getting some experience. If it's pulling the, the court at production at a televised basketball game or football game, volunteer. Make somebody else look better, carry their equipment for them, like I said, take it to the airport, bring them a pizza if they're trying to meet a deadline. And that's that's how you get your foot in the door or be included and having access. The people that you're meet around athletics, but that's not network. 
let's volunteer and roll our sleeves up. Love it. All right. Where are you traveling to next? I'm going to Dallas for the women's Thursday through Saturday. And then a dear friend has gotten the Naismith this year, Chris Polanski from University of Texas. Well-deserved. I don't know how I got it before. That was a that was an oversight. I guess I, I put my posters up, vote for me better than she would. She would never do that. So then I go over to Houston and um, I'm excited. March Madness, it's my favorite time of the year. I was even born in March. Love it. Okay. Uh, What is your starting lineup walkout song? Oh, you know, that's funny because Gino, I'm not going to cuss on this. Gino, everybody says he's a smart ass. I said, but you know what? He really is a smart ass. He really is. He was a phenomenal president of the WBCA. And we were doing a panel for the WNBA. And I wanted my background to be waiting for the world to change. So it was a while back. And he busts on me and says, that's the stupidest song. If you're sitting back waiting, you're never going to make my team. You're never going to be seen in a courtroom or a ball. I mean, a courtroom or a, a boardroom. So that was funny when you said that. Like, I used to love that song. So now I don't even like it because I feel like, you know, he busting on me. Um I think uh, Natalie Merchant, you know, thank you. Um, is that the real name of it? That was my walkout song for uh, the Hall of Fame. Perfect. Okay. And then you've given us amazing quotes and I am a huge quote person. Um, so we finish with your favorite quote. What is your favorite quote? It changes daily though. One quote. And now it depends on when you ask me, right? <laughs> Today I'm having... To sum up this interview, what is your favorite quote? <laughs> I got to see her at an NBA All-Star game. Madeline Albright said, there's a special place in hell for women who don't help women. And I went, wow. I've met some women that are pretty comfortable in their shoes. That was one. She was, she's, she was a powerhouse. <laughs> Man, that's so good. And so good, I think, to finish this discussion today, celebrating your career, which uh, is still like full force, uh, full court press. And um, and I'm so grat- grateful for you uh, to share so much that you've learned from these inspirational coaches that have helped shape your career. So Beth, we can't wait to continue to cheer you on. And thank you for being on the Leadership as Female podcast. Absolutely, my pleasure. And thank you for your great work and for dreaming up this very needed uh, conversation. With that, let's get into the top four takeaways, which are interesting today because there are seven one-liners from Beth's interview. Number one, it's like complaining about gravity. Some things you just can't change, so learn how to live with it or move on. Number two, be yourself because everyone else is taken. Number three, be secure enough to hire smarter people than you. Number four, if you are not at the dinner table, you are the main entree. Number five, discipline yourself so that no one else has to. Number six, be confident enough to apply for anything. And number seven, networking today is volunteering. Make someone else look better.
Thank you so much for spending your time with us today. Time is your most precious resource, and it means the world that you spent it with us. Please help us reach more people who need to hear these interviews by hitting the subscribe button and the five-star rating on your iPhone. Do you know someone who could benefit from this interview? Please share it. Take a screenshot and post your Instagram stories, copy the link and share on LinkedIn, or text that link to your colleague. The Leadership is Female podcast exists to showcase female leadership in sports and entertainment and give you the tips to level up. We will extend a hand back to lead you forward. Extend the same hand by sharing this with someone who needs to hear it. One last thing. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram at Leadership is Female. Now, take this lesson and run. Let's go. This podcast was recorded and edited by Emily Jansen, public relations by Paige Hegedus, and distributed by Anchor FM.